everybody, welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. I'm Molly Herford, and when I'm not outside riding or running or hiking, I'm probably inside writing about it. And I'm Peter Glassford. I'm a registered kinesiologist and an endurance coach, and you are here on the Consummate Athlete Podcast, where we learn about all different types of movements, and we talk to the people who do those movements and try and pull back things that we can use in, in our own daily lives and the, the sports and movements we like to do. Very nice. Yeah, I didn't stumble as much this week, no, but was good. still not there, but we're, we're working on it. We're working on that <laughs> subtitle. Uh, so Molly, what uh, consummate athlete things have you done in this past week? Uh, well, you know what? I'm not going to lie. It's been a pretty down week. We had, like, it's been rest week for me and that's, that's okay. I'm learning to live with it. Well, they're I, important, right? Those rest weeks, those rest they, days. They are. And holy crap, they're hard. Um, I admit like by you know day two or three probably day three we'll say i end up having so much energy in the morning that it's really hard to not do something well i think it's a real problem i mean probably at the heart of why we pursued some of this consummate athlete stuff this ability to do different movements in sports um, and be a well-rounded person even right like some of this was the social the community uh was because you know as as people who have gone into you know training and we'll say elite athletics uh you know you get almost uh, i don't want to say addicted but you that's everything right and then you sort of you're not flexible so if it's raining horribly like it has been for the last week here you're not adaptable and then you're sort of like stuck like and you go crazy stir crazy right like trying to deal with yourself right but yeah it's we're, funny. we're trying to be flexible when i when i interviewed ellen noble for flow bikes earlier this season one thing she said about you know having a bit of a rough cyclocross season and not being able to race and you know being having dealing with kind of a chronic condition is she had to figure out who she was outside of cycling and you know who she was without the bike um, and that's really hard and you know even for someone like myself who has you know full-time job outside of cycling and running and stuff take me out of my ability to move for a few days and it's it's really hard yeah and i've uh expressed to you you know a few times that you know the different athletes that i have you sort of start seeing trends over the years and you know there's the athletes who are you know really good at getting their their training done and like really into it and then there's the on the other side of the spectrum you know, there's the athletes that have tons of stuff going on, right? They're busy with work and family and, you know, they want to be training, but that's only a small part of their, their lifestyle. And they sort of struggle to like get the training done. Right. And there's people in the middle for sure. Um, but, but in both cases, right, the challenge is sort of tough to, to pull it into that sort of optimized middle. It's not that the people who like, all they do is train, you know, your typical maybe triathlete who's like type A and like up all hours of the day, moving and working and getting everything done. Um, you know, they have to almost get pulled back a bit so that when we do hit disruption because of rain or injury or, you know, life just changing the way it does, you know, that they're able to thrive long term. Right. And I think that's both in my coaching and then again with the podcast, that's sort of the heart of this, right, is trying to think a bit more long term and I guess holistically. Yeah. And I mean, bright side uh, is that I've had a lot of time to work on my upcoming how to be outside speaker series that we're having in Collingwood, Ontario in April. Um, so, you know, getting the speakers lined up and really working through, you know, how the whole event's going to play out. And it so far it's actually coming together. Yeah. yeah, it's shaping up to be an awesome event. So quick little plug tickets are available for that. If you're in the general Toronto where, area, where can, where can we find those? You can find those over on the outdooredit.com slash speaker hyphen series. And I'll put them in the show notes just to be nice. Yeah, it's going to be a, it's going to be a really cool evening. I'm, I think so. I'm like thrilled with good friends and we have some new friends and, uh, you know, some, some, some names are coming. Some names. You've got some details you announced. Uh, yeah. The whole speaker list is up the whole on the list. site. Yep. You're not even holding a couple back. Nope. Okay all out there so definitely check that out so that's in collingwood ontario mm -hmm. uh yeah will you put people up if they'll travel to the event we will not we don't have that kind of space okay well there are hotels <laughs> i think we have a brand new holiday and you could probably get a discount holiday anyway. in collingwood offering discounts for the speaker series uh, that's that's not true don't don't trust 10 <laughs> well, people i'll talk to them anyway uh today's guest this is actually a repeat guest. I'm pretty stoked. I think this is Marco's third time, and I will link to the two previous times he's been on. But this is Marco Altini from HRV for Training. Yeah, so HRV, heart rate variability, 
Do you want to just quickly explain what that is for people who haven't heard his last? Well, I think we go through some, both some studies, like where are we at with HRV? Where are we at with like monitoring these things with apps and the best time and methods to do that in the podcast? Um, But yeah, it's just the variability between your heart beats. So everyone's pretty much familiar uh, with heart rate. So it's how fast is your heart rate beating? And you may think that if your heart rate's 100, that it's beating like the exact same rhythm, like a metronome. But in fact, we'll see variability between those beats. So beat one to two and then beat two to three are just going to have a a slightly like we're talking millisecond differences in them. And and the amount of that variability um, can reflect sort of how your central nervous system, your autonomic nervous system uh, is functioning. Right. So that's a lot of like there's that nervous system. Right. So when we get really tired, you'll see changes in that, right? So that's when we're overtraining or when we don't sleep or we're really stressed, especially you're going to see changes in that 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 uh, variability. So the goal is to have a metronome for a heart. No, that would be bad. You want more. Vari- oh, okay. In, in theory, again, the higher, we have to be careful because higher and lower are not necessarily better. But in general terms, what you'll see is as someone's less and less stressed or fitter and fitter, they'll have a higher variability. And this generally will correspond with a lower heart rate, which I think most people understand, like your resting heart rate is lower. You know, we all remember the Tour de France cyclists, they're like 38 beats per minute. They, you would expect them to have a high variability, but then maybe during the Tour de France as they start getting um, drilled, this is a bad example, but in, in general, you'd see after maybe the first day, you'd see a disruption because it was gotcha. really intense. Okay, cool. So we've both been using the HRV for Training app. I have years of data in this thing. Yeah, I'm actually really jealous because right now I stopped a couple months ago. Just, you know, I was doing a different kind of morning meditation and it just didn't make sense to do both of them. Just kind of got out of the habit of doing it. And honestly, things were going really well for me at that point. So it's Mm -hmm. it's one of those things where when things are going great and like the data is all pretty standard, it's super easy to get out of the habit of doing something like that. And then of course now I'm like, huh, it'd be really nice to see where I'm at and you know see how it's changing because some stuff is going on and I have no data to look back at. So it's really kind of frustrating. Yeah, it's almost like getting rid of your insurance or something, yeah. I guess. <laughs> no <laughs> fires today. Uh, yeah, I, I think wood. it's good. I, I, it's not for everyone. You know, I have clients that I have said to stop and I, I don't think you stopping was necessarily a bad decision. I really like it. You know, it, it's very easy to do for me in the morning. I came from a time when we used to have to put on heart rate straps that worked horribly and try and get our watch to pair, which didn't work well, and then download it in this clunky fashion and then open up a file and then find the heart rate variability built into a file. And it took like probably an hour. Um, and it was just clunky. So this is like you put your fingertip on your phone, iPhone or I guess iPad, you know, smartphone camera. It's one minute. You could do it for longer or slightly different, but most people are sort of in that one minute range. You just sort of lay down quietly. It records and then you fill out a survey and the survey is my favorite part because it's, are you motivated? Are you grumpy? Are you, did you sleep well? Are you sore? You fatigued? Admit it, you're just kind of mad that I don't do it anymore, so you can't see my data come through to see if I'm grumpy. And then it sends it to Training Peaks, um, which is great because from a coaching perspective, I've seen a huge uptick once you get people using this that you get heat, HRV and heart rate, very good. We get a little bit of more awareness around that, some objective data, uh, just a baseline. But then we also get all these subjective measures, which are very well correlated. Like if the second you start getting sore or motivations changing, um, these are big things, right? And this is the stuff that's hard for people to talk about. You know, and we're talking about those athletes on the one hand of the spectrum that are training really, really hard and they're getting everything done, everything checked off, but they're not good at feeling. They're not good at like the social. They're not good at, you know. So this app, I feel like this subjective measures tied in with some objective uh, is quite useful. And so that's why I've, I've really liked the app and Marco is going to do a great job here of giving us some of the up-to-date science and then also just lead us through some of the common questions I know a lot of clients have and people when they're starting out uh, we go through some more sort of quick I'll say easier answers so hopefully enjoy the podcast uh, with Marco Altini of HRV for training. 
Awesome. So, so last time, you know, you've been on twice. I, so I'll link that back for everyone so they can catch, you know, sort of early beginnings and, and definitions if we don't cover everything today. But, um, you know, we, we've seen you're a runner and you've, you've done the 80 20 stuff, which I'll link to your article on that. But I was wondering if you could give us an update. You've been injured and then you've come back and now you're running big r- miles again. So tell us about that journey. <laughs> yeah, it's been a bit of um, unusual year, I would say. Um, yeah, I, I never suffered injuries much, but in the past year, I had two muscle issues, um, which, uh, I mean, I'm just a recreational runner. Of course, I do it mainly for fun, but it's been a bit of a setback. And in the past few months, it's been getting there again. And, you know, at least I managed to run a marathon again and, you know, getting in a in the mood for uh, for being a bit more consistent and, and and trying to to get back where I was before these issues, but yeah, it's been uh, <laughs> ups and downs in in this past year, so to speak. What do you think? Like, I know you're you're a busy busy man. You got all this business you're running here with HRV for training, and you know all the research and stuff that's going into that. Um, like, what do you think happened with the injury? Uh, is there something you can attribute it to, or? just yeah it's a good question you know yeah yeah exactly i think you know sometimes there are things that just happen in in my case um i would say as a person you know uh, personality also can have an impact like some people tend to overdo things and i'm one of those and despite the fact that you know i developed a technology that tries to help people with that there are aspects in running which are uh, you know, more difficult to measure, for example, issues at the muscular level, which is what I've been experiencing, you know, that's unrelated to uh, your physiological response. So as much as, uh, you know, I can be safer from uh, an overtraining point of view because of, you know, paying more attention to my physiology and all of that, uh, certainly other issues can can happen, especially at the muscular level, you know, you know running is a high impact uh, sport and the risk is always there. I'm also, not getting any younger, so I guess right. higher mileage and all of that. Yeah, exactly. So you know, I've been, uh, uh, yeah, still still working, you know, at a polarized training kind of level, but at the same time trying to reduce the volumes a bit as uh, as I have to, you know, uh, basically combine also the various the various uh, forms of stress that eventually can have uh, an impact also at that level. Right, right. Now coming back, was there anything in particular? You know, there's this is common with running the like you say the the soft tissue, the tendons and ligaments, the bones. Uh, is there was there anything that you found apart from rest, maybe, and just easing back into it? Was there any modalities, or you know, was cycling the secret, or what what helped you get back? Do you think? <laughs> yeah, I think it's really about giving it a lot of time and really like um, listening to your body also from that point of view, which is something maybe I haven't done that well before. Uh, You know, like often I've run through soreness and all of that because, you know, that's how you accumulate higher mileage. Uh, But at the same time, trying to be a bit more careful, you know, when uh, after hard sessions, taking a bit more uh, recovery, complementing, as you say, with cross training, cycling, when, you know, the season is good, uh, that that was great help as well, because, you know, um, I think especially psychologically, well, for sure, for, for good athletes, but also for recreational athletes like me, where, you know, you do the sport mainly because it puts your mind at ease and helps you also you know distressing and coping with everything um then removing that can be difficult so um, i think yeah if you can you know cross train and do all sort of other things that still keep you active without um impacting much the areas where you've been injured and where you have to take it easier that's certainly helpful right Okay, well, and I mean, I guess, like you say, listening to your body, that's, you, you didn't, you know, come up with this software and stuff, and I've studied a lot of HRV and, and different things to, so someone else's, you know, so machines are yelling at you as well to try and give you some indication here when things are going uh, sideways. So I wonder if we start with a couple easier questions for you, hopefully, um, just as a review for those that haven't maybe heard of it or are curious about it, haven't heard our previous episodes or other stuff, can you give us just like Twitter sort of length? Uh, like what is HRV? What is heart rate variability? Yeah, so heart rate variability is a way to measure physiological stress. 
um, as uh, basically derived from any sort of stressor, physical or psychological, you know, that impacts your body in a similar way. And by measuring heart rate variability, you can get an insight in these mechanisms and then uh, try to use this insight to better balance uh, all the stressors that are in your life so that you can improve health and performance. Awesome. So now the, the tricky thing for people is, you know, on one side of this, uh, I guess, spectrum of data, we have maybe like a, a training stress score that's derived often from from power. So like an output um, and, and that's, you know, good for some things, but then also criticized because it doesn't really take into effect altitude or the fact that you've been like dr out drinking all night or you have an exam. Uh, and then on the other side of the spectrum is like what you're saying is this HRV is potentially measuring like our, our body or physiological stress so it's like all of the stressors right which is you'll, you'll then get people almost complaining that <laughs> there's too much right i want to know only my training i don't want to know about all this other stuff um yeah yeah exactly i mean i think that's why it's useful right it gives you the full picture yeah which is tough right because you you and i you know we have businesses um you know families and everything else so there, there's the stress and and so it's this idea that we, we have sort of you know only so many stress points or so many uh we can only take so much right um, and yeah. that's what HRV is trying to help us is sort of give us a little bit of an idea of like, how much can your body take, right? Is, that's, that's sort of our idea here. Yeah, exactly. I mean, in my experience, like, uh, the major stressor is often, you know, work more than training. Uh, and, and I see that in the data all the time, you know, like it's, uh, the, the biggest drops are when I'm really going crazy with work, uh, and not because I, I run a bit more. So I think that's why it's important, um, as you know, stress is stress for your body. So uh, you need ways that go beyond TSS or anything that quantifies only the workout in order to understand exactly you know, what's, uh, what's the stress level on your body. Right, right. All right, so then someone's got this idea of they, they want to try HRV. What do they need to get started in, in terms of measuring HRV? So at this point, uh, I think it's quite easy. They can, well, with our app, they can just use uh, the phone so they could measure with the camera, which is uh, a measurement that we have validated with respect to uh, chest traps and full ECGs. So it is as accurate and it's pretty simple to measure that way. As an alternative, they can indeed use um, chest traps or a few other sensors, not many at this point, um, that are not chest traps, but still allow for accurate measurements. There's the Scosh um, Rhythm24 sensor, which is an R-band, which can be used also for um, working out and, uh, and can be used for um, heart rate variability analysis. Or uh, there's the CoreSense, which is made by Elite HRV, which is also a reliable sensor. That's a finger sensor for heart rate variability analysis. So I would say any of these methods uh, works well for, uh, for morning measurements. Okay, and morning measurements is sort of the where you know we should be still doing that. I know some things are now pushing uh, sort of like twenty four hours or all night. Like, do you still think um, that that morning is sort of the best time to sort of standardize things? Yeah, I think there are two. Um let's say only two valid measurements and one is the morning and one is the night so any of these two uh, is good in terms of measuring what we want to measure which is you know this baseline chronic physiological stress level um, so with the morning measurement you know you have a standardized condition you measure as soon as you wake up um, and then you know before you are affected by other confounding factors and as an alternative you can measure also during the whole night there are some sensors now that do that uh, for example the aura ring which is also an accurate device which measures um, sleep staging as well and as you measure through the night i would say um, the main thing to keep uh, in mind is that the night measurement and the morning measurement uh, will be affected differently by the time at which you work out. So, for example, if you work out in, in the evening or late in the night, then, you know, there is going to be a transition in which your body needs to recover. And if you measure during the night, basically your measurement will be more affected by that late um, workout. And that could mean that in the morning, uh, you know, maybe you're fully recovered, but still your score is low just because of the time you worked out. 
So I think this is a feedback also we got from uh, you know a few people that use the Aura Ring uh, combined with our app, and then they see that you know depending on when they work out, there is more or less impact on the data, which makes a lot of sense. That's just how your physiology works. But I think it depends a bit, you know, then uh, how uh, you know how you want to do it, and uh, and what's your schedule for training. If you're training or train always at the right at the at the same time, let's say uh, in the morning or you know around noon, uh, as as many people do, then I would say both methods will provide more or less the same trends over time because you measure in similar conditions. But if you work out late, then there can be uh, you know a tight coupling between that and the acute score the day after, uh, even though you have fully recovered by the time it's morning. Hmm. That's interesting. I hadn't really even thought of measuring at night. Like to me, if part of our goal here would be to say, wake up in the morning and say, you know, I have this hard workout planned. Like, is this a good idea? Um, it, it strikes me that the morning makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, in general, I think it's also easier that way, you know, and uh, the, most research has been published using morning measurements. So it's also easier than to decide what to do based on published literature, because there is so much evidence that certain parameters collected that way are meaningful. You know, for example, your baseline or your coefficient of variation and all these studies also on uh, HRV guided training use morning measurements. So it's, uh, you know, it's a I would say something that it's quite well understood at this point. Right. And do you think there's a chance as in all research, like, are we like, is there a chance that there is a different way to do it? I guess, you know what I mean? Like the, are, are we, we're studying it that way because it's easier, but is, is there some chance that like there'd be, I guess, another way, you know what I mean? Or, or that the night would be better or, or different in some way? Yeah, I think it's difficult to uh, say if something can be better, so to speak, just because there is really no reference, right? So we are measuring physiological stress and how that relates to other stressors. Uh, and the best we can do is indeed to see if there is a strong relationship between these measures and, for example, workout intensity or um, alcohol intake, poor sleep, anything that has been measured. Um, but it's not that we have, you know, something to compare it to and say, okay, this is more representative of stress or less representative of stress. Um, even when you measure in the night, you know, you have so many choices you can make. You can take your data only between certain hours. You can take the full night. You can take only data collected during certain deep, uh, sleep stages, the sleep or anything else. Like you have many different decisions to make to come up with a number. So in general, I think um, that that's not really the way to go. Uh, like to you know try to overanalyze this, but it's simply you know we have a measurement of resting physiology. And that's really effective in, uh, you know, trying to quantify how a person responds to different stimulus and that can be helpful in different situations. And then even in the night, normally what we do when we have that data is really to keep it simple and average the data throughout all the night. Because I think, you know, you certainly get a good understanding of what's the baseline physiological level of a stress level of a person doing it that way and especially because you know the way you do it is always to compare with uh, your own historical data so as things change through the days you will certainly capture it that way i don't think that trying to pinpoint you know a very specific time um, is, is particularly effective especially because uh, these devices that also do sleep staging you know there is the accuracy is limited so right HRV is affected by sleep stage, of course. So, you know, you go and start picking one minute instead of another in a period of several hours in which things still will change. I think there is a high risk that, you know, you don't really capture the full picture the way you would if you were just taking the whole data or just a morning measurement in a standardized condition. Right. And and so the question with all of this then is, okay, so we're collecting this data, we're spending this time and money and energy and, you know, we're trying to get this data and put it into this app. Um, you know, can we as coaches, can we as athletes take this information uh, and do anything with it? So you, uh, as always, you've given me a big list of latest studies and where the stuff's going. So there was one that you mentioned that was an HRV guided 
uh, I guess, training um, and see, to see sort of if some athletes followed their HRV recommendations, I guess, uh, did they do better than, you know, athletes who just followed, I guess, the plan um, without any adjustments? Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, exactly. So I think, you know, the whole point of this is really that it should be actionable. Uh, we don't want to just collect data for the sake of it. And, you know, as, as you say, either you do it in the night or in the morning, it doesn't matter when you wake up, basically you have that information. So I think that's why it's powerful. You have uh, the data and then you can decide uh, what to do based on that. And normally what this means is that, um, and, and the, the direction that this research is going is basically to try to determine when is the best time to do certain sessions or when it is not a good time to do certain sessions. For example, um, say that your body is significantly more stressed than normal, then probably it's not a good idea to go out and out and do, you know, a high intensity session. It could be that in that way, you just uh, make it much harder for your body to recover. And then basically there is a detrimental effect in the medium long term. Uh, you can still do the session, right? It's not, you have a lower score. It does not mean you cannot perform. It's really about recovery and adaptation. So you just are uh, basically creating issues for, for what's to come later. Um, and what we've seen in this research is, is indeed this. So the scientists have had two groups. This happened twice uh, recently, once in runners and once in cyclists. Um, the two groups, one would go through regular uh, training periodization. So, you know, of course, still uh, they would have periods in which they do, you know, high intensity work, periods in which they do lower intensity work. So the two groups had this kind of periodization, but one of them would also make adjustments based on their daily heart rate variability scores. And in particular, if their baseline, so their recent uh, seven days moving average was below their normal values and their normal values is uh, in this case I think one month of data so what this means is simply if your basically your trend of this week is is trending negatively with respect to what is normal for you um, then you would reduce the intensity of the session so you know here we are talking about uh, athletes that are uh, well trained so when things are not trending great, you don't necessarily need a day off, right? You could just scale down the intensity. So they had maybe high intensity work and they would do just a moderate session or an easy session, uh, something like that. And then uh, what these studies shown, both of them actually, after I think a period of about eight weeks, uh, that the HRV guided group um, had increased performance while the other one did not. Uh, and, you know, the authors conclude that this is about, you know, really giving uh, the right stimulus at the right time at that point and not giving a stimulus that the body cannot assimilate properly because there is already too much stress at a certain point in time. Uh, yeah, and that's pretty much what came out of this. And I think it's, uh, it's really how also the commercial systems should be used because, you know, they, they allow you to check how you're trending with respect to your historical data and, uh, and take a step back and hold back a bit if uh, things are not trending great. Nice. So they essentially someone would, you know, have their training plan, which is a, a good thing to do, sort of plan your, your training in advance, uh, which days you're going to go hard and long and so forth. Uh, but then you wake up on one of those more challenging days and, you know, you didn't sleep well or for whatever reason, you know, the, the app has said, you know, be careful. Um, so it, it usually indicates it with like a yellow warning, right? Or red, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then in that case, you might do instead of doing like a, you know, five by three minute, like really hard VO2 effort, you might do fewer, you might do like a two by three or, or as you say, you could even just like do a lower intensity version of that. Um, and just sort of yeah. continue with the week, right? Um, yeah, exactly. That that would be the whole point, you know. Uh, our system tells you quite clearly, right? It, it tells you, for example, your HRV is below your normal values, and then you know it's up for you to decide. But what these studies show, indeed, is that in those situations, if you scale down the intensity, then you can benefit in terms of performance um, in the longer term. Okay, I think that's that's a good example and good that there's like a study, you know, showing that uh, indeed it did sort of over a course of weeks, you know, just being that like a little bit more cautious, especially I think for this was with higher level athletes, you said, but I think, you know, if we looked at, again, athletes like you or myself and, and everyone else listening, 
uh, who have all this family and stuff, you know, that could be really the difference um, between making adaptations, right? When you're, you know, you find those good days, but other days you were just sort of going through the motions or showing up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think it uh, it's a good way to make adjustments. And as you said, I mean, still, first thing, obviously, start with a plan, right? Um, it's not that you just follow this, uh, you know, or your physiologist going and go hard every day if it's everything is going well, right? That doesn't sound like a good training program. But, you know, once, even if you have a training program, I think the, well, you're a coach, you know, very well, like the things never go according to plans. Never, so it's never. Yeah, so it's important to just be flexible, you know, and be able to make small adjustments and uh, making adjustments based on your physiological stress level seems to be a good idea. Okay, so let's go, you know, someone's collecting. What are, you know, I was going to ask you about, you know, the biggest mistakes or most common mistake you see, which might also tie in, uh, you referenced another sort of study around uh, that Sherman did um, as far as protocol and, and sort of just mistakes people make. Uh, in regards to HRV, is that too big of a topic, or do you think you can handle that one? Yeah, that that works. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I think in general, you know, it's quite easy. You know, you wake up and take your measurement, but uh, again, it's it's really important that you do it um, properly. In that, in that, uh, you know, the morning routine is indeed free of confounding factors. So, I would say. Um, the important bit would be what we recommend at least, uh, you know, you wake up and that's the first thing you do while you're still in bed, lying down, uh, you take your measurements, you know, before, uh, you eat, you have coffee or you go, uh, you know, around even, even light activity. If you can, if you can avoid that before the measurement, that would be preferable. Um, what else? Social media, checking those kind of things, uh, definitely do that after, you know, it's, uh, Still, you're measuring your physiology and your stress level, so you don't want to get upset before you do that. Um, so th that's an important thing. I think uh, most people understand it, but I think it's important to state it because uh, we are doing the short measurements and it's important to do it right. Uh, and yeah, looking back to the study you mentioned, so you know, sometimes it's not possible to do it this way, uh, especially in team settings. Uh, I see it often when, when talking to teams, they just either don't have the flexibility or uh, don't trust maybe the athletes to do it or, you know, this, this is a bit different from the endurance athlete case in which uh, normally the athlete uh, would maybe come up with an interest in this and then, of course, they would do it. But if it's something that you push to a team of 30, 30, 20, 30 people, uh, you know, they might not be compliant just because it's not something they picked up themselves and, you know, there can be a series of reasons. Um, so the study was looking at uh, what can we do in these cases, right? Is it still valid if we measure one or two hours after waking up when everybody is at facilities uh, and, you know, in, in at that time we gather all the athletes in, a certain, in the same place and we can all measure together and make sure that, you know, we keep compliance high and everyone is doing this. So in this study, they actually used our system. So they used HRV for training and measured in the morning and then measured uh, one or two hours after that at the facilities. And they found that there, were, uh, there was a strong correlation between the two measurements, which means that still uh, it was uh, the measurement two hours later was still representative of what they had measured first thing in the morning, which I think is nice because it gives some flexibility. Uh, at the same time, when they also related these metrics to changes in performance, uh, this was, uh, I think, about 40 rowers, uh, they saw a stronger link with the morning measurement, the one taken, you know, as soon as you wake up. So my, my take here is that still, uh, if you can measure when you wake up, that's preferable. If you cannot, you could still get your team to do it within two hours, definitely before training. Uh, and you could still capture um, baseline physiological stress, at least in terms of uh, larger trends, medium long-term trends over time that would be effective. Right. So it's potential then that like a coach could integrate this with a team um, if, you know, if they were always getting together for a morning practice or something. Is that sort of the, the team yeah, sport setting exactly. that you're visualizing? Yeah. Yeah, that's what, that was the idea in this study. I think uh, these uh, rowers would meet they lead for their practice and then they could measure when, you know, when they gather their, their, uh, at the facilities. Yeah. 
And, and do you have any idea, I don't know how close you are to this one, but like, because it, it's curious to me, you know, we, we often have this with cycling or something like, do they essentially have the athletes like, you know, lay down on the ground in the gym or whatever and sort of take the measurement and then like, do the coaches look at it through, you know, the, the, the dashboard, the pro dashboard or, or like, what is, do you know, the, the practical application of this from the coach end? Yeah, I would say in this case, they would sit and measure that way. Uh, maybe it's just more practical, especially if everybody's doing it together. Uh, you know, as long as everybody's in the same, I would say, body position uh, every day, that doesn't really matter. Uh, and then, yeah, I think uh, the idea would be that then the coach uses the plot platform where he can see the trends and the data for each athlete and then see how they are uh, how they are going that way. I think in, in these settings, really, they try to look more at the longer term trends so uh, it's less of a daily decision making but it's more at, um, a way to understand how they are adapting and responding to training right so that they can make changes if things really are not training well for a specific athlete um, and you know I think at this point um, using these tools in the, to determine also training adaptation and how we are responding is one of the most interesting aspects. Uh, I think we are uh, well beyond the initial studies where we really just wanted to see a relationship within, between, for example, heavy in high-intensity training and a physiological response, you know, a drop in HRV the day after. Now, really, we are looking more at the medium and long-term trend and how you are responding to periods of increased training load, which can be, you know, again, an increased HRV uh, just because uh, it represents training adaptation. And then a positive adaptation would be an increased or stable HRV, even if training load is increasing. Okay, yeah, and that's, you know, I've, I've even been guilty here of sort of talking more about this, like morning you wake up and this device tells you this magical thing that's going to guide your day. But indeed, a lot of the information uh, and interesting stuff, like you say, is that long term, you know, are we getting fitter or are we getting the adaptation we want? So, um, you know, that gets us to the, is the is the higher, better, I guess, um, sort of general question, which we, we have talked about before, but maybe... Maybe some of that will be sort of even answered in your other study that you've mentioned, the the flat one, uh, and what you're working on with Dutch triathlon. Uh, do you think that that would sort of lead us into this discussion of sort of long-term training adaptations then? Yeah, exactly. So there was uh, recently this study by Andrew Flat, uh, who has been looking at um, rugby athletes. So I think... Uh, here they increase training load for a period of a few weeks and then they then monitor the response using HRV. And again, you know, we said before, okay, you, you have high intensity training and then uh, sometimes you have a drop in HRV because of this acute effect and your body needs to recover. But again, this really at the day-to-day -day level. If we want to, you know, try to look at the big picture and abstract a bit and look at medium and long-term trends, Normally, what we hope to see is uh, a stable or increasing HRV when we increase training load because it means that the athlete is responding well. That's what they found in this study as well. So the athletes trained harder for a few weeks. Uh, they had a stable HRV. And then also there, uh, you know, another parameter we look at still in terms of HRV is the coefficient of variation, basically just uh, how much day-to-day -day variability there is. Um, and this uh, this parameter when it's lower, so the the data points are a bit more stable throughout the days. Also, it's a sign of positive adaptation, which has been shown uh, in a few studies. Uh, and again, in this study, this uh, this this parameter was also rather low, which means positive adaptation. And the athletes also uh, filled in you know subjective questionnaires about how they were feeling and fatigue and everything because you know you want to also look at that and see if um, the, the measurements agree with uh, with how the athletes were feeling and they had you know all sort of positive uh, responses subjectively and objectively in the data so I think that's uh, again one study that shows uh, quite consistently that certain physiological responses like stable or increasing HRV and um, low coefficient of variation are typical of positive adaptations to training, even when you increase training load. 
And that's useful because, you know, if you do not have that response when you increase training load and, you know, HRV goes down and uh, you have high variation between days, that's a sign that, you know, the athlete is struggling. So you might want to change something at that point and, and you know, reduce the load or, or try to give priority to uh, other recovery strategies. So that, that was a... Um, an interesting study, and I'm doing something similar now with the Dutch triathlon. We are looking at um, responses to a training camp. The training camp will happen in a few months, so we are collecting data before that, during, and after. Uh, it will be at altitude and you know with increased load, so we will uh, try to see what's uh, the physiological response of these elite athletes uh, during this period and also um, since they do performance testing you know before after just to track progress to see if there is a relationship between uh, their physiological response and uh, changes in performance during during these periods okay and the coefficient of variation is definitely one you know that's maybe extra to the typical just like is the hrv up or down right red or green um, so the idea there is that, you know, if I'm training away and building my base and, you know, my HRV, um, I guess if we deal in the recovery points, uh, you know, it's sort of like a, a seven and a half or an eight. And then I do all the space period, or like you say, this altitude camp and I come back and then I'm more like eight and a half, nine, you know, it's, it's elevated my HRV. Um, you know, I could accomplish that baseline or that daily by having lots of variation right so one day it might be six you know one day it might be 10 and that would be a lot of that would be a higher um, and a less stable coefficient of variation right exactly and then on the flip side if i was adapting well then we would expect more that i would be going like you know on day one sort of like down at my seven and a half and then slowly that's going to creep up you know generally day to day with some variation but not as much right so i might go like seven and a half to seven dot nine to eight dot two to eight dot five over the course of weeks um so is that sort of yeah, a general yeah. idea yeah exactly so is there exceptions then when like if, if i was really pushing it you know an iron man triathlete type thing and just like beating myself into the ground over like a year um, would there be a time when I just would have a very high, like th there must, is there a, a point where the coefficient of variation being low is too much? Yeah, for sure. I think at these parameters, you know, there isn't a single parameter that tells you everything. So you need to look at multiple parameters. And one thing we've seen consistently again was that the coefficient of variation is good when it's low. If your baseline is where it's supposed to be, which means, you know, within your normal values or increasing. But if your baseline goes down below your normal values, you know, because your HRV is very low and for, for a couple of days or longer, and then your coefficient of variation most likely is also going to be very low because, you know, you're just not responding to anything anymore and the values are just always suppressed. So that's, of course, not good, even if the coefficient of variation is low. So all these things need to be looked at together. Um, so we try to do that for the user or the athlete or the coach in, in our system. You know, we provide an overview of all of these parameters with the respect also to training load, because of course uh, the amount of training will also have an impact. And then um, try to, you know, provide um, some uh, feedback based on that. If, uh, you know, the physiological trends, for example, are not optimal at look, like there can be some sort of maladaptation to um, the, the current training stimulus, then we, we provide that kind of information so that changes can be made. Okay, perfect. Um, I had a related question from a listener. Um, Kathy sort of asked, and I, I think we may have to infer a bit here. I think we've covered this a bit, but just to cut for her question, because she did reach out. Um, she asked about training efficiency uh, in HRV. Um, so I took that to mean initially sort of like efficiency in terms of like power to heart rate or um you know being an efficient runner i guess which would be more vo2 um so just being a fitter aerobically fitter athlete so i think would you agree that that they are indeed sort of correlated or what comes to okay mind? yeah um yeah i think it depends um mostly the way i see it is really that hrv is more of this um tool and marker we can use for you know continuous feedback to understand what's the physiological stress level and make changes while 
in relation to fitness and fitness improvements over time, I think that maybe even just looking at resting heart rate might be slightly better. Um, in the past, I've done quite some work in trying to do, for example, estimation of VO2 um, max and cardiorespiratory fitness from um, resting values of, uh, you know, resting physiology or uh, submaximal values, you know, data collected during workouts, but without doing any maximal test. And what I saw also there was that the predictive power of HRV in that context is not that high. So it, it does not track that well with fitness. Uh, so I don't, I don't necessarily use it in these models, but I think it's more useful really in the context of stress and balancing stress more than as a marker of fitness. In that case, I would just keep it simpler and look at um, heart rate at rest or even better, of course, heart rate uh, versus power for cycling or heart rate versus pace, uh, you know, for runners. And those kind of changes, I think, are better reflective of um, changes in aerobic fitness than your baseline HRV. Right. Okay. So I see what you're saying because the, you know, what my heart rate is when I'm pedaling away um, is maybe more indicative and in, in certainly in terms of efficiency, I guess, um, versus if I have a high HRV, cause I could also just be like a really Zen yoga master who's like really low stress and, um, you know, eats really well and, and still have a similar HRV. Uh, is that sort of the, the rough idea? Would that be sort of a, yeah, also, yeah, for sure. Also between people, you know, there are so many other, um, you know, genetic factors that could trigger a higher HRV for someone that is not particularly aerobically fit. So I think, yeah, we should not uh, necessarily use it in that context. Or, or efficient, I guess, right? Like, I guess the, 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 the word efficiency there, I think is probably tripping a bit. The other way I thought we could interpret this again, if we're going to try and just cover what Kathy might've, might've meant <laughs> was, uh, efficiency being your training, um, consistency or effectiveness, I guess. Right. So like if I train consistently, then you would, I, I yeah. would expect my HRV would trend upwards, um, which we could check long-term, but would you agree with that, that someone who's training consistently, should see like a trend in their HRV? I would think that uh, things should be more stable. Like the way I see it is really um, stability and being within normal is really what you should aim at or see when everything goes well. Uh, positive trends, yeah, sometimes they happen and it's a good thing, but I think with, I don't think that's um, something that necessarily needs to happen or is more likely to happen if you train more consistently while if everything goes well and you know you're coping well with training and i would say a stable values and everything within normal is is really what's good yeah and i have to admit like i you know i've been training for 15 to 20 years i guess right in cycling so i i'm, I'm guilty as like i want it to go higher but it's like it doesn't like i mean if <laughs> at this point if things stay stable i'm doing fairly well i think right it's it's you're sort of in that game yeah yeah exactly to, not to <laughs> that's get funny sick, also because right yeah yeah you know, we are we are used to track those sort of metrics because we want them to get better, uh, but that's not how it works with HRV. So you know, it's uh, you can get your power numbers better, and you know, you can get faster and and all of that, but uh, your HRV might stay always the same, and that's a good thing. Like I think that's also a bit of a you know shift in mentality that we we need to have uh, when looking at these metrics with respect to other metrics where we did we want indeed to optimize them in the long term. Well, here what we aim at is really to balance it so that it stays in this stable normal range, uh, which means that we are dealing well with uh, the various stressors that uh, that we face. Yeah, yeah. And it's, you know, I had a question that I was going to ask you, but I, I think this is almost a better conversation around this idea of like, are we, do we ever want to get a red thing? And I think people probably do want to like be like, yeah, I really drilled myself into the ground. But to me, it's almost more impressive when people go out and do some crazy like 100 mile run. And then the next day they read their HRV isn't really that disrupted. Yeah, exactly. I think, uh, you know, if, if even if you train very hard and you do your hard sessions, which you should be doing right to get better, um, still, you don't really do that because you want to get in that state in which your body is really, uh, you know, stressed beyond what could be recovered in a, a day or two, uh, especially during training. I mean, racing is different, of course, then there will be some sort of off period. 
But during training, I think what you, even after the hardest sessions, what you really want to see is that everything is still normal because it means that that was the right session in that moment because your body could handle it. Right, right. Which is a great, you know, again, just such a paradigm shift to the like, no, no, what is it? Uh, no pain, no gain, I guess, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? exactly. So it's, you know, if someone was finding, this might be even the best use of, this might be even the completely the opposite of what people might expect that HRV is. If you're finding that you're hitting the red after these workouts very often, then it might actually mean like you should experiment and do four or eight weeks here of, of trying not to get red days um, by training, yeah, exactly. by training I mean, less or less hard or, or whatever it, you choose, right? Definitely. You know, I, I saw this even, um, you know, recently coming back from an injury, then uh, your body is not used to hard sessions anymore. So when I was doing a hard session, maybe I would see that more often, you know, like uh, HRV going down and then maybe staying down two or three days. And then, you know, just tells me that I'm just, I was just not built enough of a base, you know, and, of, and I'm just not able to handle that stress much. And then it's just better to try to stay uh, you know, more consistent and doing more more training that allows you to build, you know, a foundation on which you can then do the harder sessions. While you, if you look at, you know, good Ironman athletes or uh, good triathletes uh, that, you know, elite level or, or close to that, it's very hard for them to see, like, ever one of those scores because they are used to a lot of training and, you know, they train in a smart way, you know, with good coaches. And then uh, what you see normally is that things are in a stable situation. So for them, it's good feedback to make sure that, you know, you are indeed adapting well and everything is going according to plan. Uh, but you, yeah, you don't expect to see to see big drops in, uh, if you are, I would say, well conditioned and everything. Right, right. Okay, well, that's I, I enjoy that quite a bit. Um, the next thing, and I guess one of the final studies you had was uh, around menstrual cycle in HRV, which I think is interesting because we don't get a lot of that often. It's like, oh, we can't study women because they have a menstrual cycle. So what's, is there anything <laughs> new, new there or, or coming uh, that maybe is going to be interesting for people with, with in that area? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think indeed, um, you know, that's a story of sports science, right? You know, just take five guys and do a study and then generalize it to the entire population. So I think it's good that we're seeing something different. Um, so in the, well, of course, the menstrual cycle and HRV have been investigated in many studies before, but I think the main difference here is that, you know, finally you can measure daily, as you know, and we have discussed so far, like using, you know, validated tools that and apps that people can use. And even all the previous research on, uh, on these relationships, you know, you would have uh, one measurement maybe at the beginning of the cycle and then one measurement towards the end. And, you know, what does that tell you, right? It's, it's just too little. It's one data point. And we both know there is like a lot of day-to-day -day variability. So maybe if you had measured the day after, you would have gotten like the opposite relationship between these two data points. Um, so yeah, there's, I think there's a lot of inconsistency in, in literature just because of how data was collected and, until very recently, actually. Even right now, it's not that most studies use these tools, right? Most studies still will ask the subjects to go to the lab on one day and then measure and then at the end of the study, like months later, to go this, to the lab again one day and that would be like the HRV change over time. Um, so, you know, we both know it makes no sense, but that's still how it is done. Um, while in this study, they measured using HRV for training every day um, throughout the cycle, and then they could see uh, a clear decrease in HRV throughout the cycle uh, consistently, again, across uh, these um, athletes they had. Uh, I think here it was um, like active women, but no professional athletes. Uh, so I would say from that point of view, uh, possibly it generalizes better to the recreational athlete sort of uh, user of these systems. And they could see in it this um, decrease in HRV throughout the cycle, which then is useful to know because, you know, if you measure these data points and then uh, you see this kind of trends, it could be that, you know, you don't know why uh, there is uh, a decrease in a certain point of time. While if you know that that's simply the effect of the cycle, 
you know, you can derive your own conclusion and decide that maybe that's just normal and, and then you can proceed this plan. And it's not a reduction that is due to other stressors that might be present. So I think it's a useful piece of information to have. Yeah, and I guess, you know, I, I, I sort of, I guess as a, a man, my, my mind gets like a little like boggled by it and, you know, you try and understand. But then in some ways, I think it's, you know, if there's a decrease in HRV and it's below the baseline, it would be in a lot of ways we can bring it back and say it's like other stresses, bad night of sleep, you know, whatever. And potentially if it is a big enough uh, disruption, you might adjust training accordingly, right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, here we are talking about the second phase uh, after ovulation. So I think, you know, when hormone levels are higher, and I think in general, it, it is thought that it's harder to uh, perform better during that phase. Um, so yeah, I think this is also consistent with what in general you would do. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's a, a way to capture still, you know, the physiological stress level of the body. Uh, but I think still, you know, sometimes when you know that there is this relationship, you could more easily discard other potential sources of stress, uh, at least during that phase. So you're saying that you might be able to uh, adjust that in terms of like uh, maybe push through then on a day? Is that what... uh, no? I meant I meant mostly in terms of uh, trying to figure out why. Uh, you know, like I would still uh, still do the same. Right? Still so... listen to it, but then you're you're not you know worried that you're getting sick maybe yeah exactly yeah okay. exactly that's what i meant like also as a coach if you work with an athlete or as an athlete if you look at your own data i think uh at that point you'll say okay yeah this is normal you know it's just that phase and then uh, uh you know uh, probably you can also plan around that uh but uh yeah you don't you know have to stress out more because you don't know exactly what's going on well, and I think the great thing as a coach um, to a, a lot of different females, uh, the nice thing about this this app is that it also collects uh, subjective data, so things like soreness, you know, fatigue, uh, how did you sleep, that sort of stuff. Um, and, and so some of I've had discussions that have been sort of probed by you know the, this app, those readings. Um, and say like, you know, okay, well, no, you know, I always, you know, then the, the conversation goes sort of something like, you know, I always have cramps this week and it's really bad and training always sucks, but you always put these intervals on this sucky day and I just try and do my <laughs> best. And it's like, well, oh, okay, well, we could probably just move that like three days or two days or, you know, a day back or whatever. Um, you know, and, and it's not a big deal. Like you say, the plan doesn't have to, it's not written in pen, right? They, the, the, the cliche is it's written in pencil. So um, I guess yeah. thank you to that. But I think that's, I, I always like to try and underscore that it's not just these like HRV, HR, heart rate things. Uh, it's, it's also subjective, right? That gives us a lot of value. Yeah, exactly. I think that's really great. You know, even just for the athlete in the morning, you know, you take a minute just to think about how you're feeling and, you know, uh, respond to a few questions, even subjectively. I think that's uh, really helpful for the athlete, but also for the coach, uh, you know, context around the measurements but also you know just pause a second uh, everybody has uh, you know very frenetic lifestyle these days so uh, it right. it can be very helpful just to you know assess how you're doing yeah i know i appreciate just that it's, it's almost like journaling right and you do have an annotations uh, sort of note section as well that i try and add context uh, yeah try and encourage athletes too as well but yeah it's definitely you know how do i feel sore did i sleep well you know am i in my psych to go ride today and in, in <laughs> 10 inches of snow that i'm looking out the window at um, <laughs> Yeah, so that's that's awesome. Um, I guess to finish, I've taken up a lot of your time, and I appreciate that. Uh, is there any sort of closing thoughts you have? Uh, you know, requests of people, um, what what have you? Uh, well, I don't know. Nothing in particular. I would say I think this was a good overview of uh, recent research. Uh, yeah, we covered a few different points. I think I hope gave a decent idea of uh, how the tool can be used, and uh, people can find it helpful. Yeah, that's awesome. So people can check uh, you out. I'll put links to some of your past articles on Medium and on HRV for training. Um, can you give them an idea of where they can follow on Instagram and on just for the website, Marco? 
Yes, so for HRV for Training is uh, hrvfortraining.com and Instagram also is HRV for Training. Uh, my own account is altini.marco and I think only Instagram at this stage. I got off the other social media for <laughs> my so, so to elevate health. your HRV, right? You did a you did a study. HRV went off when you got off those other networks. Right, exactly. It was the best day of my life. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Um, awesome. Thank you so much. Like I say, we'll link to that and we'll let you know when this is out. Um, take care and stay healthy with that running, my friend. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Pleasure. Talk to- Thanks so much for tuning into the Consummate Athlete Podcast. Uh, you can check out my stuff over at theoutdooredit.com or by following me on Instagram and Twitter at Molly J. Herford. And you can check out Peter's coaching, training plans, blogs, all that fun stuff over at smartathlete.ca or by following him on Twitter and Instagram at Peter Glassford. And if you want to support this show and other awesome podcasts, please check out wideanglepodium.com for show info, other podcasts, bonus content and to become a donating member so you can get all of that rad behind the scenes content and help keep shows like this on the air. And lastly, if you're enjoying this podcast and all the information that we're bringing to you every single week, uh, do us a solid and pop into iTunes to leave us a rating and review. It takes you about two seconds. You can do it on your computer. You can do it on your phone and it really helps us out. Thanks so much. And we will see you next week.